0: great to be with you here for this purpose of worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ for who He is and how we need to respond to Him. You want to open your Bibles at first Peter chapter two. I want to show you the structure, and the main idea, and then you'll understand why we have the theme, and then you'll understand better some of the things that I'm going to say today. And then a highlight at the end of the service is we're going to have communion together. So uh, I, if I do say something to offend you, don't leave. Uh, stay for the highlight, and that is communion uh, with the Lord. So uh, Seb so eloquently read this passage, but I want you just to look at uh, the structure and then to show you why we have that specific title, How to Be Good in a Bad World. And I know that that can conjure up an enormous amount of ideas and opinions, we're going to stick with the opinion of what the Bible tells us in these verses. So if you read through that passage, you'll see verse 15 that says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So there we have our main reason for, for doing what we're doing today and for why we are discussing this topic under this heading, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And then you'll see uh, verse 13 and 14, you see how Peter then commands us by the Holy Spirit, so a direct message from God that we must be subject to, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And then you'll see at the end, he reminds us of that again from verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone uh, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So we see the honor and the subjection on both sides of the, uh, the main idea of what we need to take from this, and that is we need to be good. So uh, how can you be good in a bad world? So we have to establish, first of all, if what I'm saying is true, do you think this world is bad? So let's make it more personal and say, is South Africa bad? So who of you would agree with that statement? Right, some of you. So the others, I'm assuming... So now I'm going to push you to raise your hands. Are the rest of you saying that South Africa is good? So who says South Africa is good? Oh, a few. And I know what you, why you're doing this, because you give me the catechism answer, right? Yes, I know. But for those who still think that South Africa is good, I'm, I'm talking from a human point of view. The Minister of Police released some statistics, crime statistics. And there's some good news in this. The crime statistics, the one good news, piece of good news that he emphasized in, in his address was that the percentage of cases where the police actually uncovered crime rose. <laughs> so the police were able to, to catch more criminals. But we don't really see them going to jail, right? So that, that's my first point of convincing you that South Africa is bad. And you're living in a bad world. And then you have to be good in this bad world. Here's some other statistics. Contact crime, whenever one person commits a crime directly to another person, is up by just 60%. That's comparing the first quarter of last year with the first quarter of this year. Contact related crimes up by 42%. And then other serious crimes, I'm not sure what count under that heading, 35%. So you can see. How about corruption? Well, don't, talk about, don't talk to me about corruption, but there's some statistics available on corruption as well. There's actually a corruption watch, and what they do is they survey 180 countries, and South Africa is one of those countries, and we score consistently below 45 out of 100 on the corruption scale. That's a pass mark for a trick, right? <laughs> which is another reason why I think South Africa is bad, because you know, we raise the, uh, the pass, the amount of matric- matriculants who pass, not by getting them to pass, but by lowering the standard. So, just to give you an idea, most countries in Europe will score consistently above 85 out of 100 on the corruption watch, except for Greece, we don't talk about Greece. No one wants to go to Greece. So if I would come to you today and I'd say I want to go somewhere else. I'm now I've had it, this, these statistics, I'm convinced. I want to leave. South Africa is bad. Where shall I go? Any idea? Someone in the first service says, Zimbabwe. <laughs> so Zimbabwe is off. Not not going to Zimbabwe. Where else can I go? Any any ideas? Get on boat. Where? Get on boat. What? Get on a boat. Get on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, create your own country. <laughs> Any other country? Mauritius. Yeah. about Australia? No? Some? Mm, maybe? Antarctica. There we go. Go with the penguins. Yes. Where else? Maldives. Mm, Muslim country. Yeah. Well done. All right. We'll talk more about your options a little bit later. But just if you think of the news about the riots in July... If that would be on the advert to try and get people to come to South Africa, do you think they want to come? I don't think so. And other countries may be better from a human point of view, but I also found this. In Canada, in April this year, riots. Australia, August this year, riots. UK, May, devastating riots. We don't even talk about, about the US, it's just devastating, all, devastation all over the place. And you can go and search the internet for crime in other countries. But the fact is, I recognize that people just want a better life, right? They want the world to be better, if you watch what uh, people on pageants who want to win a prize, what they say when they ask, so what contribution would you want to make? They'll say, we want world peace. We just want the world to be a better place. So we may not be in a world war currently, that's debatable for some, but we are in a worldly mess. So when Peter commands you to submit to every human institution, you may respond with, Peter, 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 you have no idea what the world looks like now. You have no idea what we have to deal with here in South Africa. If you knew Peter, you would have added an accept to your command. You would have said, submit to every human institution except those who are corrupt. But he didn't. So does Peter know what he's talking about? Well, Peter does. He understands all too well. I'll give you a glimpse of Peter's world and Peter's human institutions. Just one example, and that's the ruler, Nero. In AD 63, about the time where Peter was active in Rome, Nero was the emperor. Nine years earlier, Nero was 17 years old. And Nero's mother arranged to have Uncle Claudius poisoned. Nice family. Nero was proclaimed emperor of Rome. Nero ruled for 14 years, and at the age of 31, he killed himself. But in the seven years prior to his death, he made sure that everyone will remember him. Not for the good things. Here's a short list. Very short CV, if you want to call Nero to take over from Mr. Ramaphosa. He killed his stepmother. He killed his own mother, because you know what mother's like. There are evidence of Uncle Claudius. Can't take that chance. He killed his first wife probably on the advice of his second wife. (laughs) He had a counselor, counselor's name was Seneca, and Nero forced Seneca to kill himself. I'm leaving out the gruesome bits. This is like the best that that we can say about Nero. But some more, Peter arrived during a time where Nero desperately wanted, he was obsessed with rebuilding Rome. And uh, of the worst and most murderous persecution periods in the history of mankind happened in AD 64. A great fire broke out in uh, the south of Rome and uh, it wiped out 10 out of of the 14 wards of that city. Uh, It died down in the south and somehow miraculously jumped to the north of the city. So most sane people believe that Nero himself started the fires in order to satisfy his lust for revamping. In our house, sometimes Nettie will say, don't like this room. I don't get concerned because she's not going to start a fire. She'll just move things around. Nero said no, and he had some resistance from his people, so he decided to start the fires. And then, fortunately for him, and very conveniently, there were Christians, and no one liked the Christians. If you listen to the previous sermon that we preached, you'll see why. They weren't worshipping the right gods, Uh, They they weren't worshipping a God at all because you can't see this God that they're worshipping. So they had lots of problems and and resistance to the Christians. So um, Nero just blamed them. He pinned the fires on them. And because the Christians weren't liked at all, he started killing them. And in gruesome ways. I won't even tell you how. So in this time and with Peter's experience of reality... In his bad world, he says this is how we should conduct ourselves. 1 Peter 2 verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And in our verse for today, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Peter is qualified to speak about being good in a bad world because of his life, because of his experience, even up to the time that he wrote this. He witnessed Pontius Pilate stepping back from his responsibility and from the law to please men at the false trial of Jesus. Peter lived during the time that Herod beheaded John the Baptist as a trophy in a dancing contest. When Peter was a boy, Herod killed all the children in Bethlehem. And Peter saw Herod place his purple robe on the Lord Jesus as a clown costume before he condemned Jesus to death. In that time, under those circumstances, Peter writes, 1 Peter 2 verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So three questions answered to help us be good in a bad world. First question, what must you do to be good? And I won't blame you if while well, we read that uh, verse, you were thinking of reasons why not to. And the second question, why must you be good? So what must you do to be good? Second question, why must you be good? And then third question, how should or must the bad world react to your goodness? Number one, what must you do to be good? Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And then verse 16 says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, verse 17. Love the brother who would fear God. Honor the emperor. So there we have a list of things to do. We so often want a list. Tell me what to do, and I'll do this. But what Peter is saying is, the main point here is the, the way that we are most often challenged to do good in a bad world is submission to government to human institutions. And then he says it shows out in how we live the rest of our lives as well, and there's a list. So let's just look at each one of those. Be subject. Live as a free servant of God. Honor everyone. Love the church. Fear God. Honor the government. That's my summary of what we have to do. But all of those, the most important thing that we most often challenge are challenged with, and we see that twice, is be subject to every human institution. And then he mentions the government specifically, in case we wanted to get out of that one which I often do want to get out of. So the first one should be easy. Be subject to every human institution. There's no mistake in this translation. It is absolutely true. That's what it says. Christian, you must be subject. Let's make it personal now and closer to home. You must be subject to the South African government. So if I say to you, just to test, some human institutions that we have, uh, if I say to you, The tax collector, do you have pleasant thoughts? If I say to you, Etakwene municipality, you have to have pleasant thoughts because some of our members worked and are still working for that. If I say Telkom, you have to be very pleased because they're paying for our house because my wife works for them. (laughs) And no, she can't help you with your problems, by the way. I can carry on with that, but here's what it says. You have to obey the laws of South Africa. It means... You drive according to the rules of the road, including Inanda Road, right, it's 60 kilometers an hour. You have to pay your taxes as required. You have to renew your licenses. You have to fill in the required forms. You have to wait your turn in the queue. It also means that you need to stay up to date with some of the rules and regulations and the laws that we have in our land. And yeah, I have to make it a bit practical because we currently have a discussion in our church and we have uh, a range of opinions about wearing masks in the service. And I see you dropping your masks. So, uh, and it is a serious issue. So you've heard us announce and say that we ask you to, uh, to adhere to the regulation. But if you feel the need to lower your mask, then we are not going to judge you. We're not going to stop in the middle of the sermon and say, "Daddle?" we're not. Danny? Yeah? Not. Thanks, Alan. See your hand? You can come to the front afterwards. I'm not going to do that. Why? Here's the reason. I'll give you two examples myself and Billy. So you'll see me lower my mask when I sing and sometimes when I pray because at that point the mask prohibits my ability to worship. I may as well go home. So I choose to worship instead of obeying that regulation at that moment. Before I go to Billy, because he's got a very good reason that I love, almost better than mine, but for the same ultimate goal. So you all knew before I said that that uh, the speed limit on a Nando Road is 60, right? Who didn't know? I guess you all knew. And, and all of you who drove in Nando Road, you've never driven over 60, right? Well, here's a reason why you should sometimes. So most of the time you have to obey the law because that honors God. But you're driving down in Inanda Road and your child is on the back seat and your child is choking. You need to get your child to the hospital. Are you going to stick to 60? No. You have a good reason, right? So our reason for sometimes not obeying that regulation is for the sake of worship. If yours is another reason, maybe health and things like that, by all means, We're not going to judge you. We're not going to stop the worship. Uh, We want you to worship Jesus rightly. So Billy has a wonderful reason. So Billy sits there. And uh, I personally love the sound of children and babies. It doesn't distract me from worship. I love the family of God from small to big. And sometimes the older ones of us can't hear properly and we don't whisper. We think we do, but we don't. Or we cough loudly. or, Or burp even. So... That happens in the family of God. So Billy sits there, and Alyssa gets a bit loud, according to his opinion. And he's trying his best to explain to Alyssa that she must now stop. She doesn't get the message, unless he mouths to her, if you don't stop now, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) You know I joke about this, but seriously, that's a good reason. So, in line with us having to obey every human institution, we all know that there are certain... Well thought through and meaningful exception. So we're at that point still with regards to this, applying it today. And every day as long as we have the regulation, we wear our masks because that's the right thing to do. Unless that prevents you from doing what is right in the sight of God. That goes for any law. If the law prohibits you or wants you to limit what God says, then you don't obey the law. So Peter says we should submit. And he's got friends who agree with him. Paul agrees with him. And Jesus showed us that he did submit. Here's Paul in Romans 13 verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. And then Jesus displayed the submission. um, When Jesus and Peter, the same guy who wrote this passage that we're studying today. When they got to the synagogue in Capernaum. Uh, we read the story in Matthew 17 from verse 24. There they arrive at the synagogue and uh, the, uh, the policeman at the door says, have to pay tax. You've got to pay two drachma of tax. One drachma for each person who wants to enter the house of God. And Jesus explains to Peter, because he's the son of the father whose house this is, there's no need for him to pay the tax. But, and Jesus says, he calls it not to give offense. So what he's saying is, For the sake of submission to a human institution, let's give them money. And then Peter goes and finds money, and he doesn't find two drachma. He finds 3,4 drachma, which is a shekel. That's what he pays. There's a message there. What about those times? The human institutions demand your conduct against God's law. I reiterate again. Then you obey God's word. You obey God's law. And then you carry the consequences. We find Peter and John putting the religious government of the day on the spot with, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. That's Acts 4 verse 19 and 20. When the religious leaders of that day wanted to prohibit them from from speaking in the name of Jesus. So, submit to every human institution. And here's how your life should play out under the banner of doing God's will. You also live as a free servant of God. You are free to represent God, in other words, we find that in verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Before you were saved, you were a slave, you were a slave to sin. Yes. After you get saved, you are then a servant of God, not a slave of sin anymore. You get the point, dear Christian, before you commit any sin in this life, there is a moment or a period of time where you have the ability and option not to choose that sin. Because you have the Holy Spirit in you. But because of your own sin and my own sin and because of the sin-cursed world that we live in, we often fall. But we are not slaves to sin anymore. Romans 6, verse 1 and 2, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? That's the dilemma of our day. So don't be a slave of the world's opinion and the news websites that you read. Don't be a slave of their opinion about what is happening in your world. Don't be influenced by that. Uh, Don't Except the rebellion that you see against authority. My question to you would be, if you would go along what the world wants you to do, and that's in rebellion of any human institution, what kind of a witness are you of the God that you serve and the God that you worship? Then he continues to say that you have to honor everyone. And yeah, I'm sure that you can, if you have some time, make a list of people that are not deserving of your honor. I have a list. I had a list. I wiped it out on my computer. Uh, That's just in line with Colossians 4, verse 5 and 6. It says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So the the word translated honor in each one of these cases means to determine a value. And uh, it leaves the reader with the idea are finding reasons to add value. That's the idea, not to limit the value. So Nettie and I just sold our car a few days ago. And, and this is not in any way to upset anyone who has a family member or is involved in selling cars. But second-hand car salesmen are notorious for devaluing, right? So they look at your car, and they start with a value, and they say, but. You know, here's a rust mark, and here's a chip on the window, and you know, these tires need to be replaced, and uh, hear a hum in the gearbox. They have a whole list of things to devalue. That's the opposite of honor. This, that's dishonor. That's the meaning. So it leaves us with the with the idea when we honor everyone, when Peter says honor everyone, it leaves us with the idea of whenever we are engaged with, when we meet with, when we think of, when we talk about another person, we must firstly and foremostly and most importantly Value them. So we must think of those things that will add value. Very easy to find fault. Not so easy to add value. Number four, in that, in the first main point that we have, and that is to submit to every human institution, and then by doing so, your your life works out like this. You love the brotherhood. Are you known to be someone who loves the church? In John 13 and 15, Jesus repeatedly gives us the command to love one another. But I like the summary that you find in Romans 12, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I love that. Outdo one another. Let's see someone who shows me honor. And you were wondering when we were going to get to this. Take milk tart, for example. So if someone brings the best milk tart, and I let you know what the quality is, you need to try and better that. That's how it works. So you know that that is a joke. What I mean by that is, let's see how we show honor to one another, and let's outdo one another in doing that. Not to let the shine of glory or honor shine on us, but on that person. And ultimately, on Jesus Christ. Because the next point that Peter makes Under this umbrella of how should we live and how should we be good in a bad world while we submit to every human institution, is to fear God. That's really the crux, isn't it? I'm not saying that we should be fearful of God, but we have to fear God thinking about what God is capable of doing. It's the crux of the matter. It gives us the balance and the measure of what we do to be a good Christian in spite of bad human institutions. It's the fear of God. And God says, be subject, and you may say, yes, but. Or, not for me yet. Or, not today. Whatever your excuse is. But really, do you realize when you do that, when you decide not to be subject to a human institution, you decide not to be subject to God. You have reason to fear. Just think of what God can do. God can cause you to break a leg. God can cause you to get cancer. God can cause you to leave this life. We've been reminded of those in the last week. But God can save you. And God can secure your salvation. And at some point, this whole thing, including the coronavirus, will be wrapped up, it'll be gone. And the world after that will not have any virus. And we'll go viral in our worship of God in the new world. But in the meantime, we have this bad world. So the fear of the Lord, we know also, is the beginning of wisdom. So thinking about what God can do may prevent you from challenging what God expects you to do, including being submissive to every human institution. And then he says, Honor the Emperor, just in case we, we say, Well, the Emperor is not really a human institution. He placed himself there because he poisoned or had his po- uncle poisoned. Whatever the, whatever the way is that the current Emperor in our, in our situation came there, whether it was because there was a rigging, you know, rigging in the voting system, or whatever it is, he's there and he's placed there by God. So, Honor the Emperor. And we'll say, Ish. Not so easy, right? But we have to. And we have to do it with the right attitude. Why? Because that's what God says. Listen again to verse 13. Whether it be, submit to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And the emperor and the governors represented the government of that time. Those were the human institutions of the day. And wise man Paul helps us again in Romans 13, verse 7. He says, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. And you may think like I did when I read that and say, well, wait a minute. Here's my back door as owed. So do I really think that the government is owed my respect? and my submission. I can give you a list of reasons, human reasons why I do not have to honor and submit to the government, because they are useless, and they are corrupt, and most of them are criminals, and they steal our money. I agree from a human point of view. But you do not give honor to the person because of the person. You do not give honor, and you do not submit to the institution because of the institution or because of what they do or don't do. You are commanded to give honor because of what and who they represent, whether they know it or not. All institutions of authority represents God's given authority. All authority comes from God. And this principle is most vividly displayed by Jesus himself at his false trial that we read about in John 19. Jesus addresses Pontius Pilate in verse 11 of John 19, and he says, to Pilate, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. So let's go to point number two. It'll be quicker, point number two and three. First was uh, how. Second was why. Why must you be good? It says in verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake. And then verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, etc. Just go back for a moment to First Peter 2 verse 9 that reads, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. How, dear Christian friend, by rebelling against, by talking negatively, by moaning, By not submitting to human institutions. How do you give hope to a hopeless world? As ambassador of King Jesus, you must say what he says and do what he would do in this South Africa that we live in. Verse 15 gives us another reason to be good in a bad world and that is for this is the will of God (laughs) that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Doing good, according to God's good plan of submission, is God's will. So often Christians will ask and say, I just want to do God's will. I just want to be in God's will. Here's one way. Submit to every human institution. Verse 16 ends with living as servants of God. What does it say about your master if you would think about your conduct, if you moan and if you rebel and if you justify rebellion, um, if you do that against the God-appointed and yes, corrupt government by not submitting? You show how little you trust God's ability to change the government. It also shows your own desire for comfort and yearning for self-control. So we saw, firstly, how to be good in a, a bad world. And we then also see, see why. And the why is because God expects it. It is God's will. And uh, what God says goes. And then lastly, how must the bad world react? I'll give you a heads up. This is not happening. But ultimately it will. So we see we see. In these verses, in verse 14, for example, the governors are sent by God to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. That's what's supposed to happen. Then verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So the human, human institutions should punish evildoers and reward do-gooders like us, right? They should. But because they are human and because they will not succeed, because of the sin-cursed world that we live in, it's not going to happen. Only after this life will righteous rule happen. When Jesus rules in His everlasting righteous kingdom, right rule will happen. Just look look at the result when Christians are good in a bad world. It says it'll silence the ignorance of fools. They will have no words against you if you submit. To authorities and do what God says. Even if the human institution does a poor job at ruling, why would you want to do a poor job at representing Jesus? Who and he is the ultimate authority. Will people in government do what is right? Is there a guarantee that if you are a good person in a bad world that we will receive a good government? Will people turn to you in the queue at the government department and say, you're such an example of trust. I want to be like you. No, they'll probably turn on you if you say anything positive. But by living out your trust in Jesus, you create an opportunity for hope in a hopeless world. And for some, that opportunity will be an opportunity to receive salvation And for others, an opportunity that will give them no excuse or blame for not receiving salvation. But ultimately, after Jesus' return, everyone will be silent and will know. What will they know about your conduct? What motivates you to be subject to human institutions, to live as a free servant of God, to honor everyone, to love the church, to fear God, to honor the government? is summarized by 1 Peter 3 verse 15. But in your hearts, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So you submit to every human institution, you live as a free servant of God, you honor everyone You love the church, you fear God, you honor the government because of Jesus, by His example, and in order to imitate His character. You submit, not for the imminent improvement of service delivery, you submit to every human institution because it is evangelism. You show the value of the God-made plan for this world. You show the value of Jesus. Why won't you want to do that? There's only one reason. You may remember in 2013 a private jet, a private aircraft landed at Air Force Base Waterkloof. Waterkloof Lachmach Basis. It came from India. It was uh, loaded with guests for a Gupta wedding. And uh, these guests were whisked off to Sun City and accompanied by blue light brigades. And afterwards, the investigation revealed that those who allowed this said that number one wanted us to do this. Number one gave us permission, and number one is at Nkandla. You know that? Just to make sure you understand who I'm talking about. So it's number one. So the, the main reason why you will not want to submit and listen to God's instruction to submit to any and every human institution is number one. No, not Jacob Zuma, you. Submit to every institution, me, now, under these circumstances, let me give you a list of why I shouldn't. Well, Jesus did. His list was much longer than yours. Peter did. I can give you more of the information of Peter's life if you want. Paul did. Stephen did. And many others did. But dear friends, if you replace yourself as number one with Jesus as number one, you will not only follow this command, but you'll follow it joyfully, knowing that your joy, your existence, your favor does not depend on whether you have a good government. And by the way, Australia is not that good. And Canada is not that good. The UK is not that good and I don't ever want to go to Mauritius again. They're all bad. So to be a good Christian in a bad world where criminals rule and where unfair taxes rob us of our pleasures, one must get rid of number one and replace him or her with the true number one, Jesus Christ. Today's lesson tells us that you can be good in a bad world when you obey and follow God's plan and when you worship Jesus for who he is. Let's do that. Amen. Father, we are grateful that uh, the important message of the Bible is so simple, but we have to confess that it's often so difficult for us. We pray that you'll forgive us, those of us who so often find reasons not to submit to the human institutions that you placed over us. We pray that you will replace our frustration and our subtle and sometimes even blatant rebellion against the authority that you placed over us, Replace that with a joyful submission, and remind us often, even in those times where our patience and our logic is challenged, and our sense of righteousness is trampled on, help us in those times to be reminded of who the ultimate authority is, and that we will be reminded that this life is not the main event, we are living towards the main event when Jesus shall rule over all. Amen.